Okay, I'd love you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3. It's on page 1174. 1174. If you've got a church Bible. (laughs) And I want to read um, verses 14 to 21. And we're going to start here, but we are going to uh, go... We're going to move around a little bit in Ephesians. Okay, we're going to kind of have a look at the first three chapters of Ephesians. But don't, don't freak. <laughs> we'll be, it's going to be okay. So uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And it says this, right down at the bottom of page 1174. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, when you think of church, I wonder what you imagine. Uh, I want to suggest there are four common mistakes that people make about church. And I'm not talking about people who have no interest in church. I'm talking about people who are kind of into church, right? So people who are sort of either Christians or they're Christian-y, I don't know who they are, but you know, people who are sort of into the church thing. And uh, here's four views uh, that I want to kind of set out at the start. And maybe you'll recognize yourself, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. None of, if you feel like I'm getting at you, I'm not. Uh, I just want to set these out before you. And then we're going to see what God's word has to say. Here's the first one. And that is a consumer view of church. That is, church is about meeting my needs. Okay, what, what best suits me and makes me feel good? What will help me? Do I like this church? Does it feel good to me? That's a consumer view of church. And so it's no different to, you know, if you choose a university. How do you choose a university? You go and visit them, you say, which one's going to be best for me? Which one's going to suit me and my personality and the course I want to do? And that's how you choose a university. Or if you go shopping, you want to buy a new jacket or whatever you want to buy. <laughs> And you don't, when you go shopping, you don't say, is this an intrinsically good jacket? You say, is this jacket good for me? Does it fit me? Does it make me feel good? Because you could have a beautiful jacket that makes you look awful. At which point you say, well, that's not the right one for me then. And I want to suggest that it's very, very common, particularly, dare I say it, in a city like London where there are so many churches. And let's face it, if you get fed up, you've got loads of options. It's not like you're going to have to travel miles to another church. And that can breed, you know, in some places in the country, there's only one church miles around. You kind of go to it because it's there. In London, it can breed a real consumer mentality. I go to, I, I'll go to this church as long as it suits me. Oh, I'm a bit fed up of that. Let's go and try something else and I'm going to see this and what fits me. That's the consumer mindset. Okay, here's the second mindset is the individualist, individualist mindset. 
Now, this is, the, this is the sort of person who says that God is basically interested in individuals. He wants to have a special time with me. It's about me and Jesus. We have a happy little time. And church is fine, and it can be a help, but it isn't really what God's bothered about. God is bothered about me. An individual view of church. So it's more like gym membership. You know, it's kind of, it's me, it's me. I don't have to interact with other people. It's just about me. So I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Because I can have a happy time with Jesus on my own at home. Now again, that's increasingly common and increasingly possible because of the internet. So let me do something I've never done before. Let me apply this. Let me make an application to to people who are not in this room, but who might listen to this sermon on the internet. So I hope you all now, so all of you can switch off for a second. I just want to talk to the people who might. Now, don't worry, I don't have like a massive following, you know, but there may be one. So I'm talking to you, one. Uh, I want you to know, sitting on your own, thinking you don't need to be part of church and it's all about you and Jesus, that it isn't. And I want to try and show you this afternoon as you listen. And I hope to see you next Sunday at the Globe Church, <laughs> Borough High Street, and we'll be here. And we'll be welcoming you in. There'll be loads next week. We'll put, we'll put more chairs out next week. Oh, dear. That's the individualist, that it's just about me and Jesus. And this is the sort of thing, you know, that it's about my... You, you get it. Uh, here's the third wrong view, and that's the minimalist. Now, this is the person who says, well, what's the minimum I've got to do? You know, what, what's the... Church is a bit of a burden. I'm a busy, busy person. How much can I, ha- how much can I get away with? You know, do I have to go every Sunday or 50% or... Do I have to go midweek? Right? That's the minimalist. What, have I, what, have I got to, what can I get away with? And here's the last one. And that's an exhibitionist. And this is the other end of the extreme, right? From the minimalist who says, well, I'll just turn up on Sundays, keep my head down and try not to get involved. Through to the exhibitionist who basically says, church exists for me to show everyone how great I am. And for me to be able to use the gifts that God's given. I'm doing God a massive favor to turn up at church. God is very, very lucky to have me. Lucky old God that I come to church. Think of all the things he can do through me and my gift. Now, I realize that for some of you, you're sitting thinking, do really people, some people think like that? I've got to tell you, yes, they do. And for some of you, that would be a real surprise. But some of you will know exactly what I mean. And there is a bit of a trend. And now, in some ways, there's truth in all these things. I want to be careful. But, you know, that sense of you do a, a tick chart to find out your gifts. This was quite common. I don't know how common this is in church. It was a big fad a little while ago. You know, everybody does a tick chart. You find out your gifts. Now, there's nothing wrong in one sense, except unless it breeds the attitude that says, oh, look, this is, my, this is what I'm gifted at. This is what I must be allowed to do. And suddenly it becomes about me being allowed to parade my skills and my abilities before everyone. And whether that's 
cooking or music or singing or that's the same music and singing or preaching or whatever it might be it becomes about a a, a stage a platform on which I can perform to others for some people church is a is a great source of an ability to get power for myself and reputation and status so there's four wrong views now I don't know if those kind of chime with you I don't know if one perhaps you can go yeah that's probably me but I want to try and show you that the problem with all of those verse, uh, those views is that they fail to grasp the bigness of church and just how great church really is. And we need to let God challenge those attitudes that lurk inside us. And we're going to start with just one verse. Okay, It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to read it again. Have a look at it. This smashes apart... All of those views and any other wrong view of church we might have. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's a lovely verse, isn't it? Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. What a lovely verse. That's the sort of verse you want to put on a poster, isn't it? Have a pussycat and a dolphin. And let's have that verse. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more. The pussycat and the dolphin are there. But I want to say, actually, I wonder if it's a slightly troubling verse. It it, it slightly bugs me because it is wonderful. But here's my problem with it. I think I can imagine quite a lot. I think I can imagine quite big things. And my problem is I read this and I go, yes, God is able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. But then I think, well, hang on a second. I can imagine, I think I could imagine Globe Church growing. I've had all sorts of daydreams. Okay, sinful alert, (laughs) sinful heart alert. I've had all sorts, I walk past the Royal Festival Hall, genuinely, I know this is sad. I walk past the Royal Festival Hall and think, well, maybe one day, We'll be in there, we'll have filled it, you know, 2,000 people singing God's praise, declaring Jesus is King. I think I've got quite a big imagination. And God is able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. So what's going on there? Well, let's, let's have a think. And this is, this is my big point, okay? Here's my main line. And I hope by the end you'll see why the, that thing about the Royal Festival Hall is wrong. Um, my big point is this. When it comes to church, it is God who does the doing, not me. When it comes to church, it's God who does the doing. Church is what God is doing. That's what I'm going to try and show you from these verses. Um, and that's, that's what you see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do, he is able to do things. He's not a weak, powerless little God sitting there with no ability. He's able to do immeasurably more than all ask or imagine. Now that... That means God has an ability and a power to do stuff. Now I take it that when Paul says he's able to do things, that doesn't just mean kind of in an abstract way, yes, of course he's able to fill the Royal Albert Hall, but he's not going to. That's like me saying, you know, 
could you, are you able to pass me the salt? And you say, yes. But I'm not going to. All right, that's kind of a weird thing. Paul isn't messing around here. He's not saying, yes, God is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine, but he's not going to. <laughs> That'd be a weird way for this to be. It must be that Paul says he's able and he is going to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. And there are things that I cannot do, that I'm restricted. There's a great verse in the Bible that says, is the Lord's arm too short? That's talking about his power. Is God's arm too short to be able to save? You know, has he got little arms that he can't quite reach people? No, his arms are long arms. I've got short arms. I can't reach. I don't, there are things that I want to be able to do, but I can't. There's stuff I want to be able to achieve, but I can't because my arms are too short. God doesn't have short arms. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So what does it mean then? What does this sentence mean? (coughs) Well, I want to try and show you from just a quick run through a couple of chapters in Ephesians. I want to try and show you that what Paul is talking about is the church. That is what God is able to do. And when you see what God means when he talks about the church, it is beyond anything you could ask or ever even begin to imagine. My ambition to fill the Royal Albert Hall with 2,000 people is far, far too small. It's too small. Because God has a bigger vision, a bigger plan, and a greater power. That's what I want us to see. So this verse isn't for a poster with a pussycat and a dolphin. It's not floating around like a fortune cookie. Oh, it's lovely. It's rooted in this book of the Bible. It's rooted in what Paul has been saying. And it comes at a key point in this book of Ephesians. And I want to just try and show you. God has a plan, a massive plan. It's In Ephesians, it's referred to as a mystery, a, a, a secret plan. But it's a plan that's been revealed. And just come back to chapter 1 with me. Okay, here is what God is doing. It's God who does the doing, all right? We've got to get what God is doing in this world. Here's a snapshot of it. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. What? What's his plan? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Here is God's great plan. Here is what God is doing. This is what God has the power to do. It is to bring all things together under one head, who is Christ. That's what God is doing in this world. I spend a significant amount of my life uh, making Lego models. Um, And this is a great picture, actually, of of what this verse means. You go to Toys R Us and you spend a ridiculously huge amount of money for what is really a very small box with some plastic bricks. And and it's all, you, you get it home and you tip it all out. And the point is that a box of Lego, it's all shattered into hundreds, hundreds of pieces. 
There's a picture of what it's supposed to be, but it's all just fragmented and spoiled. And you can almost hear the Lego. When you open a new box of Lego, you, you may not have done this for a while. When you open a new box of Lego, you can almost hear the bricks groaning with kind of, come on, please, put us together, please put us together. They're yearning for someone. There's such chaos in that Lego box. Lego box. There's such disorder and mess and rubbish. And they're yearning for someone who will be the great putter togetherer, who will take this mess and this chaos and bring it all to completion, to fulfillment, to what it was supposed to be. They were made for more than just to be a pile of random bricks. They have a greater purpose and they're groaning and they're yearning for someone who can put them together. And each piece needs to be carefully brought and put into place. And it needs one builder. One builder. Because two builders is no good. It's chaos. It needs one builder who will put it all together. It gets very complicated when you've got five people all trying to put the things together. It doesn't work. You need one. It all needs to be united. Well, this world is a shattered Lego model. It's, it's a mess all around us, we can see. And yet you can kind of sense that there is something that it's supposed to be. And it's like the, the world, this shattered world, is yearning, is groaning for someone to put it back together. There's so much that you can see it almost works, but it doesn't quite work properly. There's so much that's painful and chaotic and messed up. But here is God's great plan. It is to bring all things, all of it, together. Under Christ. He puts it all together. And finally, you see what creation was really supposed to be. Can you imagine a world where everything is in its place? Just listen to this um, from uh, the, the book of Isaiah. Don't, don't remember turning to it. Just listen. Here's a description of, of, what, uh, of what I'm talking about. Um. It says this. I've just, uh, the wolf, sorry, I just lost it. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. <laughs> it's not the pussycat and the dolphin. <laughs> Shame. But the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Here's this picture of perfect unity where everything is together, where everything is placed back where it should be. There's no more death, no more sickness, no more war, no more terrorism, no more suicide bombers. Everything put back in its place exactly as it was created to be. That is what God is doing. Now let me ask you, is that not bigger than anything you could ever ask or imagine? Is that not immeasurably more? Do you see, this isn't just talking about some small little thing. This is God's great plan to bring everything together. Right. How's he doing it? Well, let's flip on through uh, into Ephesians chapter 2. Have a look at Ephesians um, chapter 2. And we're going to see now that actually the way that this happens is that God gets a people together. So there's this great plan to bring everything together under Christ. And here's how it works. It works as God builds his church. His gathered people. His people who he brings together. So chapter 2 of Ephesians starts with a description of what humanity is like. 
Listen to this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, please don't just let this drift over you. We we have to wake up. We have to listen. We have to let God's word show us what's really going on. Did you hear how, how humanity is described? Humanity is dead Dead because, of, because, as Phil was showing us, we've exchanged the creator for created stuff. We've rejected the God who made us, and we're living for ourselves. If he is the God of life, and we've turned away from life, all we're left with is death. We're in a world of death, a, a world where death rules, where death always wins. Because of our transgression and sin, because we've turned away from the God of life, death always wins. We are dead. And not only are we dead, we're also enslaved. Enslaved to an enemy, a ruler of the kingdom. Not the creator who's the good king, but another ruler who the Bible calls the devil or Satan. Or here, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us live there. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. This is where humanity is, and humanity is deserving of God's right, wrath, and anger. That's the broken Lego pieces. That's the mess. That's the chaos. Look what what we're told God does. Because remember, it's God who does the doing. With church, it's not about me. It's not about me doing the doing. It's God who does the doing. God... Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. He took that which was dead and he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Here it is, right? God takes dead people and he makes them alive. He takes people who deserve his wrath and his anger and he makes them alive. How does he do it? He does it through Christ, with Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who puts all things together. And Jesus is the one who came into this world. So it's interesting. We're told three things that God does. Can you see them with me? He makes people alive, verse 4. Sorry, verse 5. He made us alive with Christ. Verse 6. He raised us up with Christ. And verse 6. He seated us with Christ. So he raised us up, no, he made us alive, he raised us, raised us up, and he seated us with Christ. That is what God is doing in the world. You see, here is Jesus' story, okay? Jesus' story is, he's the son of God, he came into this world, he died on a cross, he took the punishment sin deserves, he was dead, what happened? He was made alive. And then he was raised up and then he was seated in the heavenly realms. That's Jesus' story. And if we will trust in him, then we are united to him and it becomes our story. I'm made alive with Christ. I'm raised up with Christ to the heavenly realms and I'm seated with Christ. Do you see, 
Because I'm united to Christ. This idea of being united to Christ is so important. This is what... Now, don't lose sight of what... I I realise we're kind of all over the place at the moment. Don't lose sight of what I'm talking about. We're talking about what God is doing. How is he going to bring the Lego thing all together? It's by doing this. By taking dead people, uniting them to Christ, so they're made alive, raised up and seated with Christ. If I had a cup of tea here uh, and some sugar, then I could do a great demonstration. So you're going to have to imagine it. Here's a cup of tea. See it? Good. Here's the sugar. Got it? Right. They're separate. What happens? If I, put the t- if I put the sugar in the tea, they become united. Sugar, tea, together. Whatever I do to the tea, also I do to the sugar. Yes? If I put the tea up in the air, the sugar's in the air too because it's united. This is, I realize this is a simple concept. But union with Christ is not a simple concept. If I drink the tea, I drink the sugar. Everything, everything, because I'm because the sugar's in the tea. Here's the point. If I am trusting Christ, I am with Christ. I'm united to Christ. I'm one with him. I'm in Christ. And therefore, everything that's true of Christ is true of me. If he was raised from the dead, then so am I. Death is over for me. One day my physical body will die, but death, the punishment of death has been taken away. Because Christ was raised, I have been raised. Because Christ has been seated in the heavenly realms, so have I. Now there's a bit of a time delay, right? There's a bit of a lag. My body is running a little bit behind. But Christ, because he's seated with God in heaven on the throne, so am I. But that's not quite right. It's not so am I, it is so are we. You see, it's not just me, me, me. And I love this. So God has done this. This is how God is putting everything together by raising dead people to life, seating them in the heavenly realms. Um, uh, why does he do it? Verse 7, he does it so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us and his kindness to us uh, in Christ Jesus. So that the whole world can see, wow, it's God who does the doing. Look what he's done. He's taken that dead person, raised them, seated them in the heavenly realms. Wow, God's good. For it's by grace you've been saved, verse 8, through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. Here it is, verse 10, have a look at this. For we are God's handiwork. God is doing it. Now, of course, if you're an individualist, you say, that's lovely. I'm God's handiwork. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not talking about you as an individual. He's talking about the people. He's talking about the people who God is saving. That is the church. The church is God's handiwork. The church is what God is doing in this world. The church... Get this. Okay, If you've fallen asleep, pick, pick this up, right? How is God going to put everything back together? It's by making a church. Through the the church. That's how important the church is. I think sometimes, right, we get into thinking that God saves me. It's all about me. He sent Jesus to die for me. Jesus, you died for me. You saved me. You forgive me my sin. You give me eternal life. You're so wonderful. You're so precious. And we, we have all this. And then it's kind of like... Oh, I should go and find some other people who love Jesus too. Then we could get together and talk about Jesus. 
As if church is somehow kind of not really part of what God is doing. Rubbish. Church is, ex- church is what God is doing. He is saving a people. He does the doing. He builds his church. And if we had loads of time, then we could go on through chapter 2 and I could show you how what God does is he's not, he's not saving individuals. He's saving a new humanity. You can see that. Um, you'll see that language um, uh, through um, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, where he says, verse, say verse 14, He himself is our peace, who's, destroyed, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside his flesh, the law with its command and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. What is God doing? He's taking people who were scattered like Lego bricks and he's bringing them together. That's his plan. That's what God is doing in the world. Smashing down walls. Do you know, humanity loves walls. We love building walls. We build walls all the time. When I used to have a house rather than a flat, and, and it had a garden, I don't have a garden anymore. When I used to have a garden, we had a fence. Why did we have a fence? Because although I liked my neighbours, I didn't really want to be one with my neighbours. I didn't want to share my garden with them. It was an act of hostility, actually. I'm going to put up a wall. And I checked how tall they were before I built my fence. Because I didn't want to build a fence and then find that they could poke their noses over the top. We build walls. The history of humanity is about walls. The Berlin Wall, the Great Wall of China, Hadrian's Wall. There's walls all over the place. Why? Because we're scattered. We're scattered. That's what humanity does all the time. It fights and builds walls. And not just physical walls, but individual walls. Between families, walls that stand in place. Between races. All racism and class issues all the time we're building walls surrounding ourselves with walls because we're scattered bricks and Jesus came not just to save you but to save you as part of a new humanity it's better right you've got to understand it's better than just the oh, I get saved is I get saved as part of a new humanity that's what church is it's a snapshot of this new Humanity, all together, united under Christ. It's God who does that. That is what God is doing in the world. Now, of course, that is, that is why church is so important. So just one more verse and, and then we'll tie it all up. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. He was all of this stuff. So his purpose in chapter 1 was to bring everything together under Christ. He does that by taking dead people and making them alive and uniting them to a new humanity. Chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold manifold wisdom of God should should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished. God's plan was that the church would put on display his amazing wisdom. That all of, not just humanity, all of the heavenly realms would look and go, have you seen the church? It is extraordinary. God is so wise. Look what he's done. He's created a new humanity. He's brought it all together. 
That's what church is. Now can I say, gently and humbly, my guess is that most of us, that is immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. That is why Paul is able to say, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, because that's what God is doing. And God's plan is not going to fail. At the very end of um, the, the Bible, in Revelation, you have this amazing vision. In fact, we sang about it. Every tribe and tongue and nation, he's leading sinners home. It's not going to fail. There will be more than 2,000 people worshipping Jesus. The Royal Festival Hall is too small for God's plan. There will be a multitude that no one can count from every tribe, nation, language and tongue worshipping Jesus before the throne. That's what God is doing. That is church. Church is God's people. And we, here at Globe Church, are a local expression of the global church. We're a snapshot of the great church that God is saving. That's why church matters. We get to express it now. We get to express this new humanity. That's what we should be excited about. And let me say again, it is God who does the doing. It is only God who can do that. Look, if we're just trying to build a crowd of 2,000 people, I reckon that we probably could manage. I actually don't think it would be that hard to build a crowd of 2,000 people. I'm fairly confident that if we got a better preacher, and if we got, well, the musicians are right, but if we got a, you know, some decent lighting, and you know, if we get the right musicians and we get the right people, and I've got, and we got enough money, it's not difficult to build two, a crowd of 2,000. We could do that, but we couldn't do this. And therefore, if all we're trying to do is build a crowd of 2,000 people, our ambition is too small. It's God who does the doing. And God is doing something far bigger. And now, of course, we'd feel good. And everyone would go, wow, Globe Church got 2,000 people. And we could go around the world. You know, I'd be able to go and give conferences and lectures on how to build a church and all this kind of stuff. And it's nonsense. It's all nonsense. Because if I built this church, then it's nothing. Because it's God who does the doing. It's only God who's able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine. If Globe Church depends on my imagination, we're going to be too small. Now this really, really matters because if it's God who does the doing, then it is God who gets the glory. Because the one who does the doing is the one who gets the praise, right? That's always true. If you invite me around for dinner and I come and you cook me a fantastic meal and it's wonderful and it's fantastic... And um, you, Linda and I are both there, and it's fantastic. And I turn to Linda and I say, Linda, that was wonderful. You cooked. That was amazing. Thank you. You'd be rightly upset about that. Because <laughs> she didn't do the doing. You did the doing. So you get the praise. That's exactly the same. If God does the doing, if we're a church that says, God, we want you to build this church. We want you to do it. Then he gets the glory. That's why... Coming back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. Where? 
To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If we are a church where God does the doing, if we are a church where God builds and unites, if we're a church, rather than being a load of Lego builders, all trying to say, yes, I've got an idea, I'll make a little model here, and someone else going, well, I'm going to make something over here. And if, we all, if, if we are willing to say, no, I'm just a dead sinner who needs to be made alive and who needs God to be at work in and who needs God to be changing me, then we become a church that is truly for God's glory. It is God who does the doing, and therefore God gets the glory. Now, I don't think it's difficult to see why my unspectacular... If we're going to get to 2,000, we're going to need better overheads. As well. <laughs> we're going to need better, better PowerPoint presentations. We'll work on that. Now, I don't think it's difficult to see. Can you, can you see how ridiculous it is to go around to different churches saying, which one do I like? Which one suits me? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Now, hear me clearly. I get that we're different. There's different styles of church, different things. I get that. That's okay. And it's okay to choose a church where you like the style and you get on and that's fine. But don't bail out as soon as it gets tough. Don't bail out as soon as something gets, oh, I don't like the way they've done that. I'm going to go and find somewhere else. That's a consumer mentality. And I'm not just saying this because I'm worried you're all going to leave. <laughs> because we're about to do something drastic. <laughs> I'm just trying to show you that we've got to get our perspective right. The individualist. To say it's not, I don't need to be part of a church. It's like, if you're a person who's been made alive, you are part of God's new humanity. And if you start putting walls up and rebuilding the walls that Jesus came to smash down, it's like you're trying to pull the Lego bricks apart again. Rather, you should be running towards church going, hello, I'm a brick. <laughs> I want to be in. Where do I, how, how can I be part of this? Yeah? To the min- minimalist who says, well, what's the minimum I've got to do? Actually, we've lost sight of church. And, and I get that church is boring sometimes. I get that church sometimes doesn't really have a feel to it. I get that, you know, sometimes there's things about church that are irritating. But that's... Don't lose sight of how great what God is doing is. Church is not a burden. And we're different. We, some of us have busy jobs. We can't do as much. That's okay. I don't want to crush people. with. I'm not out to burden people. Church isn't a burden. It's a joy. It's a joy to be part of this thing that God is doing. And therefore we make it, we say, well, how much can I do? What can I do? What can I do? It's a different question. Not how much can I get away with, but how much can I do? What can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I be involved? And obviously, an exhibitionist. If we want to be the one who gets the glory, then we are robbing God. It's God who does the doing, not me. And I've got to tell you, if Globe Church grows, which by God's grace we pray it will, and if you ever hear me say, honestly, I, this is genuine, if you ever hear me say, talk about Globe Church as my church, or Globe Church, other than in a kind of, oh, that's, that's my church, as in that's my family, that's fine. 
But if I think about it as this is John T's church, or if you hear ever me giving any implication that it might be that, yes, I built this, then I want you to tell me to stop preaching because I'm robbing God of glory. This is his work. He builds this. And he uses all kinds of weird, frail, weak people because then he gets glory. And I want us to be really serious about this as we start on our journey through discovering what church is like. And we're going to be much more practical in future weeks. I just want to set this big thing before you. Church is what God is doing. Therefore, we should love church. We should be passionate about church. We should be excited and committed and loving what God is doing in this world. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray uh, and let's, then we're going to respond and sing and praise him. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And you're not just able to do it, you are doing it. You are doing way bigger things than we could ever dream. And one day when we stand before that throne and when we stand before Jesus, we will be blown away by the greatness and the bigness and the immeasurably moreness of what you have done. Our Father, please help us to be excited. Help us to see the beauty and the wonder of what you are doing in church. Thank you that we're part of a global church, a church throughout all the generations that you are saving, that you're gathering to, to Jesus. And thank you that we get to be an expression of that here in London. And Father, we pray that you might even use us and that through us you might build your church that you might take dead people and make them alive and that you might then unite them to this new humanity and that you would get all the glory. Heavenly Father, it's you who does the doing and we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen.